Welcome to Motherhood Designed, a podcast about balancing all aspects of life as a mother. Join me, Gabriella Dokus, each week as I sit down with a different guest to discuss how they've designed their own version of motherhood. This episode is an interview with Elizabeth Reese, mom of two young girls and the founder of Milwaukee-based Chasing Paper, who are best known for their beautiful, removable, peel-and-stick wallpaper. Elizabeth and I had a great conversation about everything from designing a nursery and kid-friendly home, to moving from New York City back to the Midwest, to the challenges of finding reliable childcare. She works alongside her brother on Chasing Paper, and we also discuss the role family and siblings still play in her daily life. I hope you enjoy this episode. So today I'm welcoming Elizabeth Reese of Chasing Paper. Elizabeth, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. A pleasure to be here. Of course. um, I love your work with Chasing Paper. I have seen your removable wallpaper specifically in so many people's homes, um, so many photos on Instagram. So I'm, I'm excited to talk a little bit about the inspiration behind it. I have to say, I didn't know you were a mom until we connected for this podcast. So kind of a, a meeting of the worlds there. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So let's start with a little bit about you. So where you live how many kids you have, what their ages are, and anything else that you think might be relevant about you or the way you were raised. I love that. I am in um, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, which is a town just north of Milwaukee. It's right on Lake Michigan. Um, It's actually the town that I grew up in. I was away for a long time, but my husband is also from here. Um, And we are raising two daughters, Uma, who is three and a half, and Marlo, who is two and a half. (laughs) So it's it's a house it's it's chaotic many days but it's wonderful it's really great yeah they're really close in age um was that something (laughs) was that something you always wanted or um I feel like a lot of people don't think they kind of get I got wrapped up in number one and was like oh I can handle a second and no I had sort of like the opposite I was like it took us a long time to get pregnant with Uma Mm -hmm. so I kind of thought I wasn't like thinking about it and then as um so many women do I just I struggled a lot in that first six months with a baby. It was just a hard transition for me. So I kind of thought like, oh, maybe we'll just, you know, have one baby because I just felt pretty overwhelmed. And when mm-hmm. she was like five months, maybe I found out I was pregnant with Marlo. Um, it was like the shock of my life. I just didn't think that we would be able to get pregnant naturally. And we did, which is so many. Now that that's happened to me, people are like, mm-hmm. that happened to me. That happened to my cousin. Yeah. That happened to my sister, you know, whatever. So, but she is the biggest blessing of our life. She's in a house of Taurus. My husband, my daughter, and I am all Taurus. And she's a little cancer baby. She's so like chill and amazing. And such a little <laughs> so she was needed in our family, I think. So <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it all works out, even though it's usually not how we plan it. <laughs> more frequently than no not. It's ever stated. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about Chasing Paper for listeners who might not be familiar with it. You have created such an incredible incredible brand in the last 10 years. I didn't realize you guys had been around that long until I was kind of doing some research for this episode, but that's amazing. So what was the inspiration behind it and what did it look like to launch in those early years? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I can't believe it's 10 years, first of all, but the brand really came from such a personal place. Um, I was living in New York City in Manhattan. I was living in a tiny little West Village apartment. Um, I would go into all these restaurants and beautiful hotels and cool stores in New York. And 
um, always there was wallpaper, like in the bathroom or like, you know, just I always kind of saw, kept seeing it in different places that I thought were so aspirational and beautiful. And then I would come home to my little teeny tiny apartment that I rented and always just thought like, why couldn't I have something that's beautiful and well-designed, but that isn't permanent. And the idea for Chasing Paper was really like born out of that. Um, I was doing some projects for different friends um, around town and, you know, that kind of transitional space felt also like something that at the time in my life and in New York felt like uniquely New York. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I felt coming from the Midwest, um, you know, everyone buys a home right away. You're in your home for a really long time, but I was moving like every few years. And even my friends who were a little bit more established and maybe having children, um, you know, those rooms were changing, you know, it was once their home office and then maybe it was a nursery or maybe it was a kid's room. And then it, you know, as they got older, it turned into something else or the child just grew up and needed a room refresh. So the idea of like transition was so exciting to me. Um, and then since then, as our customer has evolved and grown up, um, so has our product. So now we offer traditional wallpaper as well. Um, and it's almost um, 50% of our business today, which is really interesting. We launched it about four years ago. Oh, wow. Um, and it's already become like 50% of our business. So I think that that also goes to show just, you know, listening and allowing your brand to evolve and not staying so, you know, focused on just being one thing to one set of people, but really um, kind of flourishing and, and evolving with your customer. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's interesting that you made the point about New York City versus the Midwest and kind of the values that people are looking for when they decorate their living spaces between those two geographical areas. But it's so true because if you're in a big city, most people tend to get married later there, um, yeah. are moving a lot, maybe moving every year, every two years. And wallpaper is such a statement, but not only is it expensive, but it's really hard to remove. Yeah. <laughs> um, having removed it before myself, it's like that's that's the worst part about wallpaper so it's it's interesting that you came up with the idea thinking about that about the difference between your lifestyle and the lifestyle of some other people even though certainly they can use removable wallpaper but that that lack of permanence living in new york is definitely attractive for removable wallpaper so did you go right into chasing paper or did you work in other fields prior to founding it yeah i worked um Straight out of school, I went to National Geographic. I lived in Washington, D.C. for the kind of foundation organizational arm of National Geographic for a few years. Um, I had a couple other just like random odd jobs. I got my master's. Um, I took almost a year and traveled by myself around Asia. So I had oh, wow. like lots of experiences kind of between graduating college and starting Chasing Paper. I think I was like 26 or 27 when I started Chasing Paper. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I'm like 30. It's turning 10. Quick math there. <laughs> um, you know, so I actually felt, even though now I think, oh my God, to be 27 is so young. That feels so like I had no idea what I was doing, like starting a company or otherwise. But at the same time, at the time, I did feel like I had gotten some experience other places that I kind of knew some people in New York that like could help me or help answer questions or point me in the right direction of someone who could answer a question. And I think too, I was so fearless. I mean, I was like Mm -hmm. unattached. I was single, just like living on my own in the city. And I think that there was something very freeing of that. Like failure felt like less of, um, it it felt less scary. It felt less Mm -hmm. like there was less on the line, you know, now, obviously in my life now with you know, a husband and a home and two children, there's a lot more at stake in that way, right? Like I, you know, have to perform kind of to a certain level. And Mm -hmm. at that time, 
you know, I was like babysitting at night, like five or six nights a week to like, make sure that I could pay my rent and mm-hmm. do those other things. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was a exciting time. Honestly, I would work like late every night and on weekends and whatever, just cause I loved it and I wanted to be doing it. And it was something I really believe in. And still 10 years later, I'm just as passionate about it as I was in those early days. It's interesting to hear you talk about kind of that that lack of fear, because it's so true that before you have kids, I mean, kids really change your life, but it's true that you, you kind of have to be a little bit more scared because you can stop worrying about yourself, but you have to worry about your kids once they're in the picture. Um, so it gives you a lot less flexibility in terms of just saying, screw it and, and jumping right into something. Totally. And I think I think a lot more toward a, sort of about like, my legacy, what I'm doing, like when I'm taking time away from my girls, like what Mm -hmm. am I doing? What am I building? What is it for? Um, I think I'm a lot more thoughtful in that as well, which I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, that's like what greater thing to work hard for than, you know, too little, especially like I have girls too, you know, I just want to set such a good example for them and kind of have them once they're a little bit older to kind of be like, kind of understand more what I do and what I've built and, and hopefully be really proud. Absolutely. You moved at some point from New York back to the Midwest. Was -hmm. that always kind of the plan? And were you, you know, leaning in while you were living in New York, knowing that you wanted to come back to the Midwest? Or is it more of a decision that was made after you had kids or were thinking about having kids and the, the lifestyle of raising children in New York? Yeah, it's so funny. It was like truly kind of like a light switch thing. Cause I think if you would have asked me like three months before I moved to Milwaukee, back to Milwaukee, if I would have moved, I would have been like, no, no way. Like New York for life. You know, I had been there almost 10 years. I had my apartment, my friends, my people. I had such a great entrepreneurial community there you know, of other just really like-minded, great people that I really leaned and relied on. Um, But as I said, my husband um, is also from, from here. And I think there was kind of at one tipping point where I just, you know, New York is the one the most incredible cities in the world. And so many people choose to have children there and raise kids there. And that's amazing. But I think that there was just kind of like, once I knew my husband and I were going to get married and that's, you know, we were going to do this and be kind of mm-hmm. on that path of life. I think I just really felt like I wanted to be closer to my family. I also have always produced the wallpaper here in Wisconsin. So I was always flying back and forth from New York. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, this is like pre-COVID. And so for the first you know year or two that I was back in Milwaukee, I mean, I was flying to New York like once, sometimes twice a month. You know, there was just kind of a lot of that and it felt very manageable. Um now, since, you know, COVID happened, obviously, and like no one traveled and I was like pregnant having babies. And now just with two little people, um, travel is a little bit more difficult, but I think it's kind of, we're getting towards the end of that. So the fact that like New York is always going to be there, I can always go. I was just there last week um, for three days and take all the meetings and see people and reconnect. And I think just kind of making that a priority, but I truly like have never regretted this decision for one minute, like moving back. I was nervous about what it would do just because I built my business in New York. And I thought maybe there's some, you know, cachet that comes with having a New York brand and something that was built there. Um, But you know, what I'm finding is that we are a brand that is lots of things to lots of people. And you just have to kind of continue to focus on your customer and um, you know, I think we've done a really good job of that and been able to build a team here of just, amazing people and, you know, continue to sort of flourish. That makes sense. Do you follow um, Mary Orton memorandum? Yes. 
She is hysterical. And I can attest in real life, she is just as funny as she is on her Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she's, I love her. I've been following her since back when she was the classy cubicle. Um, and I yes. was working in a cubicle. So I love it. Oh my gosh, it, but... you're like an OG. I love that. Oh yeah, it was like, I think it was like, I have, I still have a dress that I bought from her. One of her links in, I think, like, 2014. I still own it. Probably doesn't fit anymore, but I love the dress so much. But she (laughs) did the move, too. And she's talked a little bit about, in, like, um, you know, AMAs on Instagram about also just the different values in the Midwest. And it's so true that, I mean, I lived in New York for a couple years. I went to NYU, and I loved New York. But it's it's not as much of a community-oriented place to raise children. Um, And I feel like going back to your hometown – Wherever it may be, you know, Midwest or elsewhere, it's just a different feeling too. Or you know, living in a a suburb is it's a different experience, so different strokes for different folks. But I I definitely hear you. Totally, and I'm I have, I'm one of four, and my brothers and sisters all live here too. And like, I was raised with all my cousins, and like having that sort of family dynamic as well. And mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm so grateful for that. It's it's so much fun. So your children are pretty close in age, <laughs> like we talked about. Um, what were the early years of motherhood for like for you? I mean, I guess you're still kind of in them, but you're, that fog is starting to lift where you have little people instead of these like quasi babies that are very needy yeah. all the time. So what was that like for you? I had a hard time with the baby phase. I mean, I had, especially after Uma, my oldest, I definitely had some like postpartum happening, you know, I was just really anxious, really, really overwhelmed. Um, you know, it was a lot. Like, I mean, I was a little bit older when I had her, I was 35. Um, so I had just known a whole life kind of doing things. It was just a big transition more so than I thought. Again, I'm from a big family. I have, you know, so many nieces and nephews, you know, like grew up babysitting. I babysat like till I was like 30 in New York, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that it was like, I didn't know what to do with a baby. It was more just, um, the sleep deprivation was really hard for me. Um, you know, just feeling like that constant need of a baby. It was, it was a hard transition, but a lot of times people are like, Oh God, you have a two and three-year-old. I am in love with this stage. I would keep them here at this. I would bottle this age forever if I could. I I'm in love with this stage. So when people would say to me like, Oh, you know, you you know, like people would say that like, Oh, every stage is amazing. And I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm like a freak or something. Cause I didn't love that. Like baby Mm -hmm. stage. It's just so hard for me. Now the fact that they can tell me what they need, we can have conversations. I kind of know who they are. They've got these personalities that, are in some ways so like me and in other ways, nothing like me. I just find that so fascinating. And obviously also to running a business alongside being a mom um, during two or three of the most like tumultuous years in our (laughs) history and probably ever will, you know, that was also just really crazy. I, I had Marlo like in the height of the pandemic and, you know, it was such like a scary time, but, um, I was so glad to have Chasing Paper during those times because it was so grounding and it was so familiar. I had been doing that kind of work for so long. And even though my team was Mm -hmm. like all separate, obviously working from home, I felt a great, um, great, it was was a very grounding thing for me to like know that other people were relying on me. I still had to like get up and do the work and take care of things. Um, I actually felt that to be a, a really wonderful thing when I was kind of feeling a bit adrift or overwhelmed with being a mom, I was able to kind of 
get back to my work and and do those things. And, um, and now I feel kind of the opposite. I'm like, I just want to be around my kids all the time. And so that's hard, you know, is like finding those boundaries between work and motherhood. Thank you for sharing, Max. There's some some vulnerable stuff in there. But um, it's true. I mean, babies, I've never been a baby person in my life. I um, am 36. Oh, yeah, almost 36 weeks pregnant. And I'm like, ugh. I mean, I loved I love my own babies, but like they scare me. Yes. Totally. <laughs> um, people don't talk about that enough. Like, I know. Yeah. And it's and I think it's so much of that, like, thought process is why I struggled also with some postpartum anxiety because it's just like you're scared. It's scary. Yeah. Um, especially when it's your first and you're, you've never been on the other side, you know, you've never seen them turn a year old and not have to worry about SIDS and that kind of thing anymore. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a scary time. Um, I think it's okay that it's a scary time, but it's always nice to hear other people kind of validate that because I think it's, it's, it's a much more universal experience than people realize. And we just have to talk about it. Absolutely. So switching lanes a little bit, um, you mentioned that you come from a big family and I know that you work with your brother on chasing paper. So I assume that you are relatively close um, as far as siblings go to, to start a business together. Do you credit your relationship and your ability to work together with anything specific from your upbringing or were you just always close growing up? Yeah. Um, so I'm one of four. I have two sisters and then my brother, who's my business partner, he's the youngest um, of us. And yeah, I mean, the four of us have always been close. And I think what's so interesting now and being a mom and seeing the sibling relationship in kind of a different way has also been really illuminating um, because I, it's so interesting, but between the four of us, we all have like such personal relationships, like one-on-one. And then there's definitely like Mm -hmm. a group dynamic as well. And of course, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old to say that like everything has been great with my siblings for 40 years would be a complete lie. Like there's of course been years that have been hard when, especially at one point, like my brother was in California, I was in New York, my sister was in Texas, and then my other sister was in um, Wisconsin. So it was like, there were times we were all just like doing completely different things, living totally different lives on complete opposite ends of the country. Um, Now we are all back within like a 90 mile radius, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, but you know, and and I think we're closer than we've ever been. My my brother, who's my business partner, just had a baby, his first, and he had a girl, and it's like the most magical, amazing thing in the world to see him become a dad. Um, and I think too, I mean, we were raised in a family business, um, so we kind of saw that inner workings of mm-hmm. sort of how great that can be and how hard it can be too. And you know, I think working with a like a sibling, or I have lots of friends who work with their husbands, where it's like a husband wife team. I mean, I think the biggest challenge and the the biggest thing that Mike and I have to sort of revisit and always kind of remind each other is like, we've got to be able to take a break from it. You know, when he and his wife and his baby were over on Christmas Eve, like we're not talking about like the P&L or did you mm-hmm. see that ticket from a customer? <laughs> like we make sure that we have that like brother sister relationship that we can put work to the side and make sure that we're being um, just brother and sister. And um, you know, his wife, we love his daughter. I mean, my girls are like literally obsessed with her. So, I mean, we also really try to like nurture all of those relationships as well to stay close. And I mean, I have to say, as the older I get, I think I recognize how special it is that we're all so close and that, mm-hmm. you know, we all really um, support and 
you know, try to help each other in any ways that we can, um, just because family is hard, you know, and yep. life sometimes can only complicate those relationships. Um, so that is like my ultimate goal too, for my girls. I just want them, you know, they don't always have to get along because I'm not that naive, but to like, you know, be that person for each other. And, you know, we're not going to have any more kids. So it's like, it's going to be the two of them, you know, though that's, Mm -hmm. you know, that's your best friend for life. You know, I always tell them, I'm like, listen, you know, like that's your person for life. I mean, that's going to be the person that's going to be your family, you know, long after, you know, your dad and I aren't here. I mean, I don't say that to Mm -hmm. them, they're two and three, but you know, that's, that's your person. Yeah. It's nice. They have that, that example to look at with you guys too, with not just your brother, but it sounds like the rest of your siblings as well. And maybe their cousins. In addition to your siblings, what does the rest of your support system look like? Um, so you mentioned that you're originally from Wisconsin where you're, you're living currently. Um, so do you have a lot of family that's nearby? Um, what does childcare look like for you? All of that stuff. Yeah, we, um, yeah, I'm fortunate to have my, my parents and, um, my brother and one of my sisters live like 20 minutes from me. And then my younger sister and her husband live just in Chicago. So it's like very close, like an hour and a half way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we rely on them a lot. I mean, we do a lot of family stuff together. Um, my husband and I hosted Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. It was so fun. Like everyone came, it was just great. Um, and then I have maybe like less long, my husband's like always lived here. So he's like the joke, he's like the mayor of Milwaukee, you know, he knows everyone he, you know, he's friends with everyone. Um, I'm still kind of like putting together that like mom group of friends here, I would say. Um, I had a great group of women friends or female friendships in New York. Um, And that's taken a little bit longer to cultivate here, I think, just because I moved and then it was like COVID and then I had two babies. So it's just, there's been a lot happening over the last Hmm. four or five years. But I'm starting now because my oldest um, just started K3, um, which not everywhere has that, but it's like a three-year-old kindergarten program. It's awesome. Um, And I'm starting to meet people through that, which has been really great because she'll be there. It goes K through eighth grade. So like Mm -hmm. these are people she's going to be in class with for a long time. So I feel like I'm kind of coming to the table with that kind of in mind where I'm, I'm really trying to be more intentional and thoughtful about like getting to know people and making sure that I'm just creating that kind of environment of like friendship and making sure that we kind of all can chat about things and that there's open lines of communication just, you know, with our kids as well. Um, and then my younger daughter goes to an amazing daycare that Uma went to prior to starting kindergarten, um, that we just absolutely love. And, um, you know, daycare also is not like a, hasn't been like a straight line for me. I think I always thought, you know, that maybe I would like have them home with me one or two days a week. I think Uma used to be home with me like one day a week before Marlo was born, like on Fridays. Um, but then I would go into the weekend being so behind on work and I would be resentful all weekend that I didn't get enough done. And, it was just not the right way to work versus having help or having, you know, daycare five days a week and being able to use it. Just having that support, if it's a quieter week and I can pick her up at lunchtime, great. If, you know, it, it just feels a lot more um, supportive to sort of mm-hmm. um, what I'm doing and working on. And yeah, we, we, we really love it. We've been, you know, childcare is so tricky and there's like no right way. And, um, obviously being working for myself, I didn't have like a mature, you know, I didn't have like three months maternity. I mean, I guess I could have given myself that, but you know, it's trickier when you work for yourself. Um, 
So I also just try to give myself a lot of grace with that too. Cause I only took like six weeks with Uma and like eight weeks with Marlo. So it was really short. And then I, we kind of transitioned. I had like a nanny for a couple months and then we started daycare, but yeah. daycare and childcare is tricky. It's so hard. That's like the number one thing I feel like I talk about with like mom friends. It's just. It is because up. even, even once you find your, your system, it can always change. And yeah. And your kid can get sick and then you need backup childcare or, you know, the school closes because there's snow or a COVID outbreak or what have you. Um, And when you have a sitter, it's like, you know, you're at the mercy of the sitter and her being sick or it's, it's a lot of moving pieces and you constantly have to have backup and it's like, you can have everything figured out, but that doesn't mean it's going to be figured out on any given day. That's right. And I think you're always kind of like running those scenarios in the back of your mind too, Mm -hmm. where. And I think too, I think we, you know, my husband and I do a lot of check-ins a lot too, because we really entered into parenting, wanting to be really 50-50 on things. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes in the Midwest, that was something that I'm like, you know, I lived in New York a long time. I'm like, oh, well, you know, everything should be equal. And sometimes the Midwestern value is for the mom to take on a lot more and do a lot more. And so, you know, he and I are constantly checking in on being like, okay, well, the last two days she was off school, I was home. So like the next one you're going to be, you know, just making right. sure that it's that it's equitable because I think that that's, you know, a huge part just in relationships. And this is like in marriage and friendship and work and anything, if it doesn't feel equitable over time, that compounds, right? Like if someone doesn't feel like the other person is doing as much as they are, like there's no way, there's no scenario where people are like, that's cool. I'll just carry this weight forever, you know, Um, or very rarely, I guess that would happen. So we do, we try to, you know, check in, but yeah, childcare is, I get asked about that a lot too, just on different interviews and it's mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I've, I've interviewed a lot of women now and I'd say 75% of them are full-time working either for themselves or outside the home, um, which gives them a little bit more flexibility if they work for themselves, but it certainly doesn't mean they're not working full-time hours. And totally. I think I have yet to talk to one who is not still the default parent. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. <laughs> You know, I don't know if it's ever going to change. I just learned that term like two weeks ago, default parent. I've never heard yeah. that before. So that you just said that. <laughs> um, for anyone listening who doesn't understand what that term means, it means like the parent that the school always calls first or the parent that the kid goes to when they're sick, um, which is, I'd yeah. say, probably nine times out of 10 mom. Um, yeah. Not to say that dad can't be that parent, but, uh, you know, it's I don't know that that will ever change. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely a lot, especially when you add finding childcare on top of that and the fact that when childcare falls through, more often than not, mom is going to be the one scrambling to to figure it out, even with a very supportive partner. I think it's just totally how the how the chips fall a lot of times. Um so what does a typical day look like for you? Um between chasing paper, your kids, your family and then anything else that you want to accomplish in a given day or week, which I'm sure there's other yeah, things that you'd like I, to do. I don't have very many hobbies at this moment in my life. But, um, no, a typical day, um, we have two early risers. So everyone up is up in our house pretty early, like usually like six. Um, Marlo goes to daycare. She goes with my husband. And then Uma and I have a little time together before I take her to school. Um, and I've actually really come to like cherish that time with her in the morning. Um, it's just quiet and relaxed. And, you know, we both kind of take our time getting ready and it's just, it's 
kind of a nice way to start the morning. Um, after I drop her off, I either come back home and work from here, or I go to our office, um, which I go to like one or two times a week. Um, and then work and meetings and lots and lots of calls and Zooms. Um, and then I usually wrap up um, about three. I pick up Uma um, after school. And then I try to have like a little activity or thing that we do, like when I pick her up, whether it's like come home and she's got like a little project to work on or, you know, just all kinds of things like read a book, play. Um, sometimes she watches a show while I just kind of finish up my work day. Um, I used to try to like not do that, like not finish up my day or feel like I could do that because I feel like I had to like be with her. But I actually have mm-hmm. found that like she needs some wind down time after school too. Like it, she like she's very self-sufficient, very independent. And she kind of likes to have a little wind down time. And then um, my husband and Marlo get home and then we all make dinner and hang out. We try to do a family dinner in some capacity every night. Um, sometimes that means we're eating like on a picnic blanket on the floor. Sometimes we're eating at the bar, standing in the kitchen. Sometimes we're actually seated at a table um, for like, you know, all of 10 minutes or however long they'll sit for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to really stay open about like whatever's going to work that night. Like however everyone's going to be the most comfortable, you know, um, just kind of making that happen and then bedtime. And then, I mean, I don't do a ton of stuff outside of like that right now. Um, but I love to travel. I, I, it's like my, probably my greatest passion and I get to do it with work sometimes, which is great. Um, and then we have some fun like family trips coming up this spring. So that I'm like looking to kind of get back into a little bit more of that. I feel like we haven't done that since the girls were born really. And um, I'm excited to like go new places with them and like see things and have like fun new experiences together. Changing topics a little bit to more design oriented questions, because mm-hmm. obviously Chasing Paper is a design company um, and it's used in so many kids rooms and nurseries. Like you said, I feel like that's the perfect place to use removable wallpaper, um, which is how you got started because kids grow older fast and they probably aren't always going to want the sweet little bunnies that you picked out when you were pregnant (laughs) on their wall. Um, So what tips do you have for families who are designing a nursery? Um, And if you're comfortable sharing, what did your own kids' nurseries look like and how have they evolved? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I think the best advice I would give is that like a nursery is sort of the one time in design that you can like totally start from scratch. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like you can kind of conceptualize the room, like no other room in your house necessarily like has to look like it, it doesn't have to necessarily go with anything else in your yeah. room or like coincide. It's kind of just this blank canvas, which is so exciting because that doesn't happen very often, you know, mm-hmm. um, or sometimes you're just working around other things. Um, so to be really like imaginative and have fun and, you know, use color and are, you know, something that illustrative or imaginative. I mean, it's a place where you can take risks and have fun, which I just think, you know, some people I think maybe think is like underrated, but I just think it's like such an, a magical experience to create such a little world for your, for your child, you know, Mm -hmm. um, designing both of my girls nurseries was like the most fun I've ever had. I Marlo's room is like my favorite room in our house without question. They obviously both have wallpaper painted trim and amazing artwork and they're really colorful and um, just fun spaces. You know, I think um, they both have like a personality um, 
that feels like them. And for Uma, when she got her big girl room, because we moved houses, you know, she was very much part of that. Like she knew kind of what colors she wanted. She picked mm-hmm. the wallpaper, um, which it's like a plaid wallpaper. And people are like, there's no way a three-year-old picked that. And I was like, she did. I, you know, I don't know if it was just like one that she just decided or she was like bored with having to look through all these things, but she chose it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think also kind of creating a space that is going to work for your family and, um, you know, that can, that in, in some ways either, you know, people are like, oh, it's wasteful to be changing wallpaper every, year. I'm not saying change it every year or even every two years, you know, maybe you don't change it till they're like seven or eight, but something that can be changed out, I mm-hmm. think is, is great. You know, I think, um, tastes are going to change or just you're maybe you, I mean, I don't know if you did this, but I always was changing rooms and like switching rooms with my sister growing up. So we were like, you know, just making adjustments too, just on like life and okay, now one's going to college. Okay. Well now I want her room because she's going to college or whatever. um, Homes are living, evolving things. You know, there's nothing static about our homes or I I think that that's kind of how we should live. Things are always kind of moving and changing. And I think, you know, especially kids rooms, I think that that should be the same. So you talked a little bit about your home in general then um, in the sense of, you know, changing things out and it being kind of this living, breathing thing. But it can also be really tricky for parents um, to design a home knowing that they're going to have kids living in it and that they might destroy things. So mm. what tips do you have for making a space feel like it's elevated and it's actually designed? It's not just a bunch of putty colored walls, but it's still friendly to kids and their messes. Totally. You know, and obviously I like live that I have two toddlers. I mean, I think we're not at a place where I'm buying anything that if for some reason something got ruined, there's nothing in my house that I would be like devastated. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're not at that point where I'm buying just like something insanely expensive or like one of a kind. I mean, maybe we'll never even get there. I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily my taste, but create, there's so many amazing like fabrics and different things, you know, now with like ruggable with like washable rugs. I mean, there's so many things that like can look great, but also have this added benefit of like functionality. I grew up definitely in a house where there were like rooms where we were like not allowed to go. Um, You know, like our living room was like our (laughs) fancy room growing up and you know, we like knew to stay out of there. Um, we very much do not live in that way. Like our kids are in every single room of our house, just kind of based on how the flow of our room is. You have to walk through our living room to get to our kitchen and where we spend most of our time. So I think maybe it's just a function of that. But then I think there's another element of it. Like I have a coffee table and has a bunch of like books and, you know, found objects and things. And people always come in and they're like, how do you have all this stuff on a coffee table and your kids don't like destroy it? And I'm like, well, because we talk about things that are like mom's treasures. That's like our word that we use in our house and have treasures too. And if it's a treasure, then you need to be really respectful and gentle and careful with it. And they know, like, sometimes I'll see them trying to, you know, playing with something and I'll be like, you know, Marlo. And she's like, I know it's mom's treasure. You know, like we really reinforce certain things that like also be respectful. And obviously like, accidents still happen, but I, I make, you know, I have accidents too of like, I might break a dish or something might slip out of my hands. Like I'm an adult and that still happens. So, you know, we just try to really instill in them that, you know, we try to live in a house that's somewhat tidy, as tidy as we can possibly keep it with two toddlers, which is not that tidy, but 
um, you know, we try to pick our things up and care for things and respect things too. And I think that that's an element that sometimes we forget in design that like people, our, our house was photographed for a magazine and people were like, well, where are all your toys? I'm like, they're there. And of course, you know, of course we still have toys and junk and a crazy amount of stuff. I have two toddlers, but you know, I think we're also careful about not having too much stuff and donating mm-hmm. when it gets too much and, and, and trying to kind of keep an eye on the level of just like things and clutter we have in the house. Yeah. And it's, it's also true. I was thinking about it as you, as you were talking about how, you know, we tend to put nice things away when we have kids because we're worried about our kids breaking them. And certainly there are things that like should be put away (laughs) Um, because toddlers are are, right. But if they're not out, if you don't have nice things out, then kids are never going to learn that there are things that are off limits and things that you have to be careful with. You know, if everything is kind of plasticized and kid proof, they don't learn that lesson. It's going to be that much harder when you are trying to bring out nice things in, you know, five years and tell them don't touch this. So um, it's a good reminder of that. So who inspires you or where do you get your inspiration for chasing paper um, and new prints? Um, Do you have any professional inspirations, any inspirations in the way you kind of live your life as a mom? Yeah. I mean, I think for chasing paper, I'm so inspired by travel. I've, I've, pre-kids, I traveled a ton um, and always going to see, you know, different cultures, different colors, different, you know, we, I took a trip to, with my brother actually for work um, to Spain and Portugal, like right before, I don't know, this maybe like five or six years ago. And like an entire collection was born out of that just by going to Portugal. And there's all these like amazing tiles all around, you know, these ancient cities and, you know, it just, it was so incredible and and fun. And, but then also too, I mean, the best part of my job is, you know, sitting, I was just on a call before this talking with designers and artists and talking about possible and potential collaborations and ideating and saying like, okay, like here's where we think we're really missing something. You know, we don't have any wallpapers that are sort of in this tone or from this perspective or from this point of view. And finding the right people to sort of create something out of that, that void and then, you know, getting to work with those people, you know, you sign a contract and then it's like a year of creating, which is truly so inspirational and incredible to like create something out of nothing. And to be a part of that process is, you know, on the hardest days of business, because there are many that, you know, I get to continue to see that process happen and be a part of that. It's, it's really remarkable. I'm sure everyone says this, but in my, just becoming a mom, I mean, my own mom is just such a huge, you know, I call her every day. We still talk, you know, we talk every day. I see her a lot. Um, and she raised four kids and I just am like, how are you still alive? I okay. Know, right? you know, like being mom is so hard and there's so much. And I just have so, such an in, immense amount of respect and just admiration for her and all that she accomplished. And, you know, I, I say it all the time, but like, I think stay at, being a stay at home mom is like the hardest job. And I have the most amount of respect for women who do it. And my mom stayed at home with all four of us. And, you know, she's got like the best advice and the best perspective when I call her about something with the girls. And, you know, she's, she's amazing. And I, I also feel very lucky that, you know, I have her and, you know, she's part of my girls' lives. And I also really try to remember to be just so grateful for that just because so many people I know don't have that still. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to feel really grateful and lucky and um, spend as much time learning from her as I can. 
it's nice that you have that inspiration and also nice that your your daughters get to see it too because that's that is special are there any um accounts you love to follow or brands you really love to support and they can be they don't have to be moms but um also mom brands or or mom accounts that you enjoy um yeah i mean gosh there's so many um i I, yeah it's it's hard to (laughs) name a few but a great friend of mine um Eliza Blank has a company called The Sill. It's a plant company. She and I met when we were both starting our businesses like a million years ago in New York. Um, We are both moms of two daughters now. Um, She's still in New York. And I was just there last week and we had lunch. And, you know, we've gone through like the high highs and low lows of business and motherhood and all of that. Um, And her company is absolutely incredible. They sell amazing, beautiful plants. Um, And she really revolutionized and like, created that space. Um, no one was really selling plants when she was, and she was like really kind of the first to market. And just to watch her build a business over the last, you know, 10, 11 years, um, while also too, you know, having, having kids and she's raising them in New York city, which I also just think is like the most commendable thing. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love the sale. I love like following that company. And then her also too, she's got, you know, she just shows little slices of her own life. Um, and I, there's so many mom accounts that I follow too. There's one that's called, um, I think it's called not, not safe, shoot, but it's like essentially like not, you know, like where they, some of these like not safe for work, it's like not mm-hmm. safe for mom or whatever. And it's like a really raw look at motherhood, like kind of saying some of the things that like you wouldn't normally say or writing really amazing not, articles. Not safe for mom group. Yeah. I think but... that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like a very um like raw look at motherhood, kind of like the things that like people normally don't say or you normally don't hear. Some of the things that they write about are like super controversial. Um, but I think it's also kind of just interesting to like um hear those points of view that you don't normally hear about motherhood. Um mm-hmm. and also I love following um Emily Oyster, who wrote Crib Sheet and Expecting yeah. better. Expecting better. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I more recently wrote Red Crib Sheet because um, obviously I have that age kids. But also, too, just sort of like the, you know, looking at it from sort of an economist perspective about we hear mm-hmm. a lot of things about pregnancy, about newborns, about motherhood, about education, about formula or breast milk or whatever. You hear a lot of things and like how she breaks it down makes motherhood feel so much less scary. <laughs> which I just appreciate. And I think sometimes you kind of need that like grounding thing of like, you might be hearing this, but here's what the research says. You're doing just fine. (laughs) They're going to be fine. (laughs) And then the other one I really like, um, my girls are kind of out of the stage, but I felt like it helped a lot with my anxiety about, especially when they were starting to eat is um, solid starts, um, Mm -hmm. which is just how, how to slice certain things so that your kid doesn't choke which I don't know why maybe other moms have this. It's like, that was like a real thing for me. I was just yeah, like, absolutely. that I was like feeding them the right things, but then I was also like nervous that they would choke or something. So, um, and they've even come along so far. Like now they have like videos of like everything you can mm-hmm. like search by ingredient, which I think is amazing. Um, so yeah, those would be just some of off the top of my head. Yeah. I love solid starts too. Although I always see the babies eating like these weird fruit vegetables and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> My kid's not going to do that one. <laughs> not even going to try. 
um but and emily and expecting better and crib sheet i think are really good i mentioned that i reference those all the time i feel like in conversations with friends not that it's like the be all end all of information but it's just it's like a really kind of neutral point of view that's just data-based which i feel like is really important i was just talking to someone about the breastfeeding piece of it and how it's like yes like you know there are so many studies linking breastfeeding to better outcomes but they also don't mention all the other factors that go into that so it's it's yeah it's good to have that data it kind of brings everyone down a level and I I, I was talking with my friend about it and I think the kind of thing that we boiled it down to too is like there's so much emotional like there's so much emotions tied to motherhood right and like Mm -hmm. so many companies get that emotion you know they show some beautiful thing about bringing your home and the mom's yes. up at night do it, it, really playing on those emotions which like you know I could just see one of those commercials and just like you know break into tears because it's like yeah. you remember that feeling and how you know scary but wonderful it is to bring your baby home from the hospital and all that but I feel like she does a good job of sort of taking some of that out of it like mm-hmm. not not speaking to the emotion that not writing something that's just going to make you sob. It's more just like, here's what it is. These are the facts. And I don't know. I always feel like when I, when I read anything of hers, whether it's just like a little quote or a book, I always feel like everyone's fine. Like everything's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my overwhelming feeling. And sometimes as a mom, you just need that. You just want to know we're going to get through this. It's a phase or, you know, whatever. I'm not failing as a mom. You're doing the best you can. I don't know, which I think is just, an important part of it sometimes <laughs> yeah numbers have a way of uh calming you down a little Rounding, like taking, yes. totally, yeah taking yeah. the emotion out of it I totally Absolutely. agree <laughs> what was a made it moment for you both personally and professionally oh man that's such a good one i would professionally um it's i mean i guess for both it's such an interesting thing because i think what i would have deemed as successes maybe five years ago is like not maybe this you know like the the what feels like success is such like a moving target depending on where you are in your life I think with chasing paper um I don't know I mean I I feel like there's been some like revenue thresholds that I like never thought I would achieve that we've we've achieved that feels really good but I think it's more I mean the sound it is kind of one answer with both is I feel like it's kind of just the I've worked for 10 years so that I can pick my daughter up at three o'clock mm-hmm. every day. And I feel really, really proud of that, that I am running a successful business and I've put enough things into place and enough things into motion. So many years when I was just like single and dating and having such a hard time with like that part, you know, all my friends were getting married and having kids. And I thought like, oh my God, that's never going to happen for me. I just like, I kept my nose to the grindstone. I kept working and working and working. And I had this kind of sense that I was like, working towards something. And I didn't know exactly what it what would look like. Certainly, if you told me I'd be living in Wisconsin, I would have been like, no way. But, you know, now I'm here. And I'm like, wow, you know, I do have some of that flexibility, I am able to make that decision to pick up my daughter every day. And I feel so lucky that I that mm-hmm. I'm able to do that. And that just feels like success to me that I can still have my work, which I love. I, you know, chasing paper was my first baby. You know, I mm-hmm. say that all the time. It's this thing that I brought into the world. And you know, she's like 10 now. She like kind of doesn't need me all the time, you know? And that is great because I also have two babies that need me a lot right now. And um, being able to sort of make those, you know, concessions on both sides, because obviously you can't have both all the time, but 
being able to do that. And then, you know, also obviously having a partner where I can go to New York for three days and do all the meetings and, you know, take in and eat the restaurants and see old friends and fill my cup in that way. You know, I feel that feels like success. I think I used to be a lot more just tied to like metrics and, you know, followers on Instagram and revenue and those numbers and metrics, those feel a lot less compelling to me now, but, um, yeah. So that was, I ho- hopefully that answered your question. <laughs> it did. And I love that it's kind of a, an accumulation of things. It's like looking back at the end of the day and feeling proud of everything that's in your life. And that is like, it's it's not necessarily a specific made it moment, but it's good to have the made it moment every day. Um, yeah. And I think that there were some, probably some made it moments in terms of, you know, revenue or reach or whatever we're doing that like has set me up for that today. So mm-hmm. it's like, I know that I had to go through those and pass through those and work towards those maybe old goals to get to this new goal, which is like, I just, I want to be as present for my girls as I can um, while not letting go of my work. Cause I think for a lot of women, that's the trade-off, you know, you kind of like one thing has to, you have to let go of something in order to take hold of something else. And I feel like right now, just for this minute, probably just this week, <laughs> I feel like I've got a pretty good balance of both. It's a good feeling. <laughs> and it's fleeting. And I know that. And I think yeah. that's probably also part of motherhood, right? Like nothing is permanent. <laughs> yep. um, you're always kind of like back and forth between things. But you know, and last week I was in New York missing my girls and feeling like I should I be in New York and doing the things and, you know, next week it'll be something else, but you know, everyone's just kind of doing the best they can, of course, to just keep things as even keeled as they can. That's been a common theme in all the conversations I've had. And the fact that balance does not truly exist, that you can find it maybe totally. on a day-to-day basis sometimes, but it's not, it's a myth. It's impossible totally. to get perfectly. Yeah. So what is next for Chasing Paper? Anything exciting? I saw that you have a collaboration with Neely and Chloe. Um, yeah. And that's so beautiful. I actually talked to Chloe. She was on my first episodes. She was great. Um, anything else that's exciting coming down the pipeline for you? Yeah, we have a launch um, happening on February 22nd with an amazing designer um, named David Quarles. He's out of Memphis. Um, <clears throat> lots of exciting things with his collection um, and we're launching new materials and um, substrates this year with Chasing Paper, which has been a long time coming and exciting. Um, Some new product offerings that will be coming later this year. Um, So yeah, and just some really incredible collaborations. Um, Some, yeah, this year is packed with very exciting things. And then we're also revisiting some um, successful launches of the last couple of years, we'll be coming out with just more for those collections as well, which is um, something kind of new we're trying. And again, new can be scary, but it's exciting. And all people who I can, I'm fortunate enough to be, you know, to call friends now um, that have been collaborators for a long time and um, which is, which is great. All exciting. So I'll keep an eye out for that. And finally shout out your website and your account. So where can listeners find you online? Yep. Um, our website is www.chasingpaper.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Chasing Paper. Perfect. And I will link all of that in the show notes so that listeners can get a link to go right there in case you need it. You can check out Chasing Paper online at chasingpaper.com or on Instagram at chasingpaper. Both links are included in the show notes and on motherhooddesign.com. 
Her guest list post on the Motherhood Designed website also contains links to all other episode mentions and shout outs. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and the small business owners it features. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review on Apple or Spotify. I appreciate your support in doing so. You can also follow along with the podcast at Motherhood Designed on Instagram or motherhooddesign.com for more info about guests, including their mentions and recommendations from each episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and until next time, take care.